Hey folks, welcome to the Mountain and Marsh Podcast, an outdoor-driven podcast where we also go in on and talk shit about pretty much anything. Hope you enjoy. Also, if you enjoy this custom music, this was produced by Stephen Mathias Music. Find Steve on his website, www.stephenmathiasmusic.com. This podcast is brought to you by Ward Business Group, Central Maryland's premier construction management and general contracting company. They are licensed and insured and provide a full range of services and products. Their services include, but are not limited to, lawn and landscape, excavation and land clearing, welding and custom fabrication, and snow removal. They also have products for sale, such as sand, stone, mulch, and firewood. Ward Business Group serves Central Maryland and the surrounding areas. Ward Business Group is an affiliate of Invisible Fence brand of Carroll County and Invisible Fence brand of Delmarva. Check them out on Facebook via their website, or you can contact Justin Ward with any inquiries at 410-984-4020. All right, everybody. I'm here with Brandon, and uh, so Brandon's my cousin. Brandon, kind of tell everybody uh, where you live now and where you work and what you do. All right. Well, I live in Martinsburg, West Virginia, almost about an hour and a half from Maryland, give or take. Um, but I work at a local meat shop in Thurmont. Um, it's just meat, and I cut. I'm a uh, one of the cutters there, and then, uh, uh gosh, <laughs> but yeah, I just do what I have to do to make a living, and then with you know with being Mikey's cousin now and letting me come on this podcast and talk about you know the trapping ordeal, it was just going to be pretty fun. Yeah, we got uh, we got some stuff to dive into, and uh, to start so. Obviously, you're working at the at the the meat spot, but um, what about uh, trapping? When, when did you start doing the trapping and the fletching and things like that? Well, I had a cousin of my mom's. I uh, lived up the street, and he was a trapper. And he, when I was living with my grandparents, helped take care of them. Uh, I got into the trapping scenario with him, going out running the line, and I, all of a sudden, I like really took interest into it and. It's something I enjoy because I'm outside. I'm out in the outdoors. You know, I'm also helping with a lot of management of your net, your animals that raid the nest for turkeys and fawns. And I think more people should know about this than just the trappers themselves. It should be a nationwide thing that what we do is we help 
with the turkey population. We help with the, the new phones that are coming out. And it, to me, I don't mind because as well as you and your most of uh, I would say a quarter of our family turkey hunt and we all deer hunt. So I think in the long run and the longevity of, you know, now that we have such a good season with the coyotes and the raccoons and the possums and the skunks to be able to help the deer population grow and see a better future for it. Yeah. Do you think that a lot of people don't realize um, what trapping even is? I, I personally think that I, that there are probably a lot of hunters, especially new hunters who don't because trapping is a, is an older thing. It's not something that many people do now. It's kind of died off. Um, you're probably one of the youngest people that I know who traps. So I think it's something that's died off a bit. And with the death of the amount of trappers, is it's also um, a lot of people don't understand now what trapping does uh, for those populations, whether it be deer or uh, it, it's deer and uh, it's ducks and geese. It's, you know, turkeys. It, it's pretty much everything, man. Like a raccoon, a uh, possum, a fox, a coyote. They'll get they'll get their hands on pretty much anything they can, you know. So uh, exactly. I, I think it's lost. It's kind of lost in time where we used to understand that trapping not only uh, – helped the fur trade business but it also helped uh the animals that couldn't make it on their own and so uh, i think that's something that got lost in translation a lot of people don't realize how good trapping is for the animals like deer and turkey and such yeah, oh i'm 100 percent. you know the, like you said the, with the the older generation dying off that started the whole trapping situation and now it's to the fact that, like you said, these younger generations don't know nothing about it. And it's just like when we were growing up, our fathers took us hunting. And now, you know, it'd be nice to carry on that situation with somebody else. You know, it's just like take a kid hunting, take a kid trapping, take a kid fishing, the same thing. And I understand, yeah, the the fur market's not the best, but I don't do it for the money. I do it to preserve, like you said, the ducks, the geese, the um, turkeys, you know, and the fawns. It's more or less a management situation for me. I can care less about for the, uh, the money, but that's what I do it for. That's what I enjoy about it. Do you think that it's died off because the money has dissipated? Like, it used to be that you could get more money for furs and such, and now it's it's less than it once was, and the cost of living has gone up, and people are realizing that it probably takes more work and more time than it's worth. Do you think that's why a lot of people stop doing it? Oh, exactly, yeah. It's a, it's a dying trade. Nobody wants to go out there. You know, every, you got to get up every day. When I run my trap line from November till January, I get up every morning at 3.30. I run my traps. I go to work a full, full eight to nine to nine and a half hours a day. I come home and I start skidding animals. 
I might not get them flushed that same day, but it's a very hard trade to get into as being self-sufficient and being, you know, doing what you want to do. Make yourself, you know. I know I'm not 100% the best trapper out there. I watch a lot of videos, learning stuff. I've learned a lot of new sets by watching videos. Um, Hoosier Outdoors puts on a great um, testimonial about trapping and what it does for wildlife. Trapper Jay, these are some guys that are on YouTube. And I watch them and follow them and watch what they do. And that's progressed me to be a better trapper than I am now. And it's amazing what you can watch from one person and go, okay, well, he's out West. And both these guys, uh, I, um, Trapper Dre, he's in Iowa and Hoosier Outdoors are in Indiana. It's amazing what I can take from both them guys and bring down here to Maryland and the two, tra- uh, in West Virginia where I trap too, to, you know, confine my skills and, but, the, pe- the young people, when they go, they don't know nothing about, it. oh, what, what's trapping? It's like a figment of their imagination. It gets poof, out the window. And I think, to be honest with you, it should be taught under education about it because it is a way of managing certain populations. Yeah, I don't think that enough people know about it or, or what it is. You know what? It's crazy because as as busy as I am and the event, that's one thing too is, is like, I'm super busy all the time with between the podcast and the behind the scenes stuff for the podcast is actually more than it takes more time than any of the recording of the podcast. And, uh, with my day job working sometimes six days a week, plus also trying to hunt plus having two young boys and raising that, you know, very young boys and trying to take care of them and my wife. And a lot of people don't have time to take up trapping now because it wasn't once instilled in them. You know, it was never instilled in me at a young age. So it's not like it's something that I say, all right, I got to trap. I got to work. I got to trap. I got to take care of my kids. And then I go hunting my what's instilled in me is, I got to work. I got to take care of my kids and go hunting. Like that's how, that's how my life lays out. So, you know, a trapping something that just not a lot of people understand. And I think there's a lot to uh, open up in kids' minds about trapping. People just, kids just don't know what it is. And I think it plays a pretty key role, especially, especially, especially in turkey populations. It plays a, it plays a key role. Oh, 100%. I, and I'm not going to sit there and tell you that at all. It's, it's 100%. You know, you got your nest raiders, you got your raccoons, you got your your skunks, mm-hmm. you know, your possums. And, you know, but then you, once they get up to you know, all spring age where they're running around with their moms, then you got to worry about um, the foxes and the, and the coyotes. You know, if it, for the first time on a property I trap over – on the, I would say the north side of Thermont. I, um, I, there's a little pond over there I go fishing at. And for the first time in three years since I've 
been back to, you know, trapping a hundred percent during the winter, uh, I heard turkeys gobble. And to me, I fulfilled something that made me feel awesome about it because I heard something gobble. It's nothing like, you know, throwing a bait caster out in the morning, you know, you're coming across the, the pond and next thing you, then you hear a turkey gobble, you know, off in the distance, you know, you did your job when you can hear something like that. So you, and I take pride in that. It's not just because you and your dad and David and all of them, you guys hunt turkeys. Yeah, I've been unfortunate not to get one, but I'd rather help you guys to progress in the longevity of the years way you can pass it on to your two boys and the way, okay, 10 years down the road, we might, our turkey population might grow. And that's what I want to do. I don't, you know, I like I said, I get up at three thirty from November to, to all the way to January, and it's a lot. Like I said, it's a lot of time. Like you said, it's with you going to work and help raising the boys and hunting. You don't have the time, uh, so I try to make adjust my schedule to where I can do a little bit of everything. If I can get in the stand for a couple hours, I do. But if not, I got fur to take care of. Do you think that there's something that people can do, people who are too busy to trap themselves or too busy to run run and check lines every single day, is there something or some form of trapping or maybe some, some organization that they could support? Is there something that someone can do to help out trapping and trappers that isn't necessarily doesn't have the time themselves to trap is there something that like i could do yeah yeah there's um you can go on and uh, um get your uh, membership or you make a donation to uh maryland trapper uh maryland trappers uh or west virginia pennsylvania same thing there's a bunch of or small organizations that you know we get together once a year talk about you know our year our season and um actually our meeting could ready to come up in june and we're going to go ahead. It's uh, right in Hagerstown. You come up there, and we have live demonstrations and how to make sets, stuff like that. Um, plenty of vendors to buy from. And to me, you know, I pay $135 a year to be a member of the Maryland Trapper Association, and I get a I get a magazine every month, and it helps. You know, you can read about, you know, Joe Snow over in Smithsburg catching, you know, his record year. And I like reading it because it shows what people are doing now and the people in the adversity of what they're doing between water trapping and then also with the land trapping. You know, I'm not so much a, a water trapper, but I'm more of a land trapper because, like I said, I want to catch the predators that uh, prey on what I like to go after. Can you explain, because a lot of the people listening won't understand, can you explain the difference of water trapping and land trapping? Oh, absolutely. So basically, um, your land trapping is anywhere that is above water. So you're catching your uh, raccoons, your skunks, your possums, your foxes, your coyotes. So when you switch it over to 
water trapping, you're more or less going after your mink, your muskrat, your beaver, your otter, and stuff. And yeah, and also, you know, your beavers and your um, muskrats can also be very uh, environmental to help too, because they can dam up creeks for farmers that you know supply water to their cattle. Muskrats they eat a lot of vegetation along the along the creek banks that erodes everything. Mink have play a pretty good role too. Uh, they actually will attack and eat muskrats in their general area. If they can find them, they'll attack them and eat them. So they also do help out the population. Because if we don't have the waterways, which when it comes to water trapping, you, you know, you could set up a blind on the, on the side of the creek and there's barely any water there. You might not have no ducks land. That puts you out of what you want to do. Right, yeah. I, I think I see a lot of people. The big one that I see a lot now is muskrat and beaver, and that's that's mainly because Steve Ranella and the meat eater guys, that's like up in Michigan and up in Alaska and, you know, wherever, uh, where they live. I think they live in Colorado now or Montana. But these guys have kind of cut their teeth water trapping. Uh, a lot of muskrat yeah. and, and a lot of uh, beaver. Hey, yep, yep. A lot of your guys up north and uh, further to, this, to the to the west, they have a lot more muskrat. I had the privilege to be able to go down to a friend of mine's property down on the eastern shore on Thanksgiving break. Go down there and trap some muskrat right down in the Demel, the Delmarva area. Yeah, I was pretty successful. I, I mean, to me, I, I, catching fifteen muskrats to me was awesome. But there's guys down there catching. 150, 200 muskrats. And I'm going, well, how do you do it? And I remember talking to this one guy, there was a little gas station we went to, and he was talking about muskrats. And I got on a conversation with him, and he's like, if you want to catch muskrats, you got to be a muskrat. Think how they are going to be. And I was like, okay. You know, it's just like deer hunting. Think what they're going to do and try to beat them at it. And so I'm going to take that this coming up, this this season coming up. I'm going to try that myself. Yeah the 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 water trapping's a little bit more of a uh, that, that's the type of shit in the middle of winter will make a man out of you. That's for sure. Oh yeah, I know. I uh, had some uh, some uh, uh, what the hell you gonna call it? Some nuisance beavers to go out of this. Uh, this past winter over at a place in Newmarket. Actually, it's a farmer that brings his beef and his sheep over to the shop that we slaughter for him. Um, he actually owns his own brewing company, Milk House Brewery. Uh, he was like, hey, he called me up one day at work. He's like, hey, look, I got beavers. Uh, they're, you know, can you come over here? I'm like, well, it's dead of winter. It's cold as shit. But guess what? I got to do what I got to do. And I went down there, got rid of his beaver got rid of his beaver problem and now you know he could put his cows back down on the pasture on the lower side to, for the spring and i'm hoping they stay out of there but they could they can come back it, it's all it's just it's just like every species that you target for trapping doesn't matter what it is say you think you eliminated them 100 percent out of an area we'll give it a year or two they're coming back 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's the same as if you, you know, tear down a, a patch of woods and all the deer have to get out of there and they run out, they run away. There's nowhere for them to be. All it takes is a year or two for some undergrowth to grow back in there and they think they can hide and they'll be back in there, you know? A hundred percent, yes. And like a lot of the trapping I do is in open farmland, corn fields, soybean fields. You know, I, I look for stuff when I'm trapping. And it's the same way with hunting. I look for that oddball tree or I look for that oddball, you know, fluff of grass in the middle of a field. You know, that's eye appealing. And and when you're targeting coyotes and foxes, you look for the, you know, the eye appeal. It could be, you could be going down, walking down your, you know, your, your lane, a farm lane, going, oh, wow. There's a random fluff of grass right on the, the side of it between two farm fields. And you go put up the set in there. You know, you grab a duke number two, set it, dig your dirt hole, put it in there, put your bait down, put your lure down. And, you know, you might not connect the first night. And I think that's what a lot of people do think is, well, oh, well, I didn't catch anything my first night of trapping. It's you're not going to connect your first. It might take two to three days. But the the gentleman that taught me how the trap is, you can walk past your trap three or four days, nothing. Okay. You go back to that trap and you put your sense back. I've literally set, uh, I have one trap that I set. It sat for 11 days before it connected with the coyotes. And I just played patiently and did what I had to do. So that 11th day. Yeah. So obviously being patient with it, but I I got a question about your set. So I'm sure a lot of people will, will want to know when you, you go, you find that uh, spot you want to set that clump of grass, that, that random walnut tree in the middle of a field, whatever the case may be, a rock outcrop, and you find that spot, that's where you want to you want to set. When you go over there, you said Duke number two, and even I have no clue what the hell that means. So you go over there and you get ready to go from, from A to B or A to Z, like from the time you get to that clump of grass until the time you walk away from it, what do you do? And like how do you set that trap and put that set in so that you feel as confident as possible that you have a chance to catch something. What's your, what's like your list you run down of things that you do? All right. So basically once I get to where, you know, like you said, that oddball spot, I, I, I carry a little six, so 12, 13 inch, you know, foam pad. I put my knees down on it and I look at it. Okay. What's the better look? So if it's a pretty straight, you know, kind of rounded area, I put the dirt hole. First thing I do is I put my dirt hole on the ground. That's where I'm going to lead to where I need to put my bed for my trap. So, when because I'm trapping four foxes and coyotes at the same time, I put about six to seven inches away from the dirt hole. That's from the center of the pan to the dirt hole itself. And so... Like I said, I get my dog, my Duke number two out, and which I run a lot of Duke products, 
Oh, uh, they're we um, simply because they're cheap and they're reliable. It's a it's a brand. When I run dogless, and so basically what I'll do is I'll dig my dirt hole out. I'll get everything ready. I'll go ahead and set set the pan, but I won't set the night latch. Basically, night latch is where it's ready to rock. You know, as soon as I hit it, there's one. As soon as I set it and put it off the side, as then I hook it to a what's called a earth anchor. It's they're made by um, Freedom Brand. They're very reliable, and then I hook it to two different swivels. Then I J hook it to the bottom of my trap. And so then what I'll do is I'll like I said I'll set the trap, and I'll beat my earth anchor down on the ground. And then I'll pull it back to me, which just snugs it. So that's the way I know it's it's solid in the ground. Then I'll place my pants, place everything down in the hole. I'll get everything out on it, and then I'll pack my trap in. See, when you're trapping for predator man, predatory animals like coyotes and foxes, you don't want no wiggle in your trap. So basically... You make sure that trap does not move at 100% at all. But then I'll go ahead and take my hand and I'll hear a click when I push down on the pan and I hear that click, I'm night latched. So I'm ready to go. So then I'll go through my bag and I'll grab, let's see, a good setup for me is I run, here's your trappers, uh, Coyote Carnage, and then I'll run some Tito, uh, let's see, uh, I use a lot of different uh, baits, I'm sorry, um, but a lot, of, a lot of times I go with a, a Jeff Dunlop bait or a Huey Trapper bait or a Trapper Jays bait, but you, you never want to have too, you want to have the eye appeal. When that when that dog or, or that coon or whatever walks past that trap, you want to go, oh, hey, what's that? You want to make it look to 100%. And it's just, it's very time consuming when it does that stuff. Right. And so do you're, you're setting these, how long does it take you to set like a full set? If you, you get out there, it takes you what, like, I, I'm just thinking in my head, like oh, 20 minutes probably to set each oh, oh, set yeah, or so. Yeah. About 20 to 25 minutes because I'm very particular when it comes to it. You know, I want to make sure. It's got eye appeal and looks good. And you, like I said, you it's just very, it's a lot of eye appeal and the scent. You know, there's certain, there's certain lures you want to use during early season. There's certain lures you want to lose during mid season. And definitely during winter, when winter hits, you, there's definitely a lot of lures you want to use when, it's cold. I even when it comes to the time for to trap during winter, I switch my bag up a hundred percent. I go ahead to stronger scents that have skunk more of a skunkier smell to them, and it produces longer distance with the the smell instead of you know only going 
you know, 35 yards, it goes 60 yards with that smell. And then it draws that animal in. So you're using majority of the, the lures that you use. Are they some sort of animal-based scent? Like they would be like dead flesh or is, is it like a rotting flesh smell? Or is it like what is the smell that, that would attract? Say you just want to catch some coons. Like what would you be using? What smells? Okay, so if I'm, catching, if I'm going for coons, so I use what's called a Freedom Brand Dog Proof. Basically what it is is a possum, skunk, and raccoon can get caught in them. Uh, they're very easily used. I cook it open. It's a round cylinder with a trigger on it. You smack it shut with your fingers. And basically, I just know why. I use a little bit of dog food, or I mean, not dog food, cat food. Throw on top of it, and then I take a, uh, this is no lie, I use Hershey syrup. Throw it on top of it, make a line on both sides, and I'm good to go. I'm out the door. I can, I can trap raccoons to, to my canine sets to raccoon sets. You're looking eight to ten minutes on a raccoon set. Just find a little game trail setting on it. Bang. Do what I have to do. Or sometimes I even use, if I don't use my Hershey syrup, I use um, fish oil. Yeah, I've heard of that before, using fishy smells. Yeah, they're, well, they're very, um, I don't know if you know or not, but a raccoon actually has to be by the water when it eats because it had, they they produce no saliva. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's why, I like, when I'm hunting in a tree stand by the Minoxia, I'll see them down by the river eating them freshwater clams and shit. Yep, that's because they don't produce saliva and makes it easier for them to eat. And basically, like when I'm using my dog proofs, because that's really all I run for coons. Um, basically, they reach their hand down in there so far, they hit the trigger on it, bang, they're stuck there. And I ran, I got 97 of them this year. I was hoping for 100. That was my goal. But <laughs> I guess next year, I guess this year coming up, I'll go for 100. Yeah, so that's just your luck, right? Get get almost there anyway. Well, I tried to hit them on the road too, so but that didn't work. <laughs> um so for your canine sets like obviously i here's a question before we talk about this just a real quick question do you yeah. do you have the ability on a canine set to catch say a bobcat yes i do okay actually my my goal is this year to go to virginia with the family and is go down to catch a bobcat it's one species i haven't caught yet i want to go down there I got a couple spots already picked out in my mind that I want to set, and one of them is real close to camp. I mean, when I say real close, you look right across the street at it. It's up on that hill. Uh, up in the clear cut? Well, you know, when you walk out of quick, uh, walk out of camp and you're heading across, like, towards uh, where Pat killed that last deer at. Yeah. Instead of going down on the right-hand side, you go up on the left-hand side where it flattens out and then goes up on that ridge mm-hmm. where all them little all them little pine trees were. Well, they're probably big pine trees now. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Right there is like a key total spot for bobcats because 
Bobcats, and like I said, I'm not going off because I haven't called any before. A lot of videos I watched, they like the pine trees. They like low low level areas because they can get grab the birds out of the trees. They can do this. They can do that. So that's why that spot right there kind of in my mind really sticks to me. So if you if you're gonna set one of these sets, these canine sets, what what is the smell that you're going for and the attractor you're going for when you set those sets? Okay, so basically, um, like I said, depends where it's at. Uh, I might spot a flat set, I might a set of dirt hole, which is both both of mine are two of my two favorite sets. So basically a flat set is I get the the trap just enough down in the ground underneath to where when I put my wax dirt on top of it, it's very close to the top. And basically I use like a rock. I'll drill my, like I'll put a dirt hole in three to four inches and then I'll put it down. And then I'll put my lures on opposite sides. But when I go to my dirt hole, I'll dig down, you know, three, three to four inches, place my, and get everything sturdy and same thing. And then I'll make my dirt hole for my uh, lure to go in. And then I'll just kind of put my gland lures or even using uh, urine, per se. I use a lot of coyote urine. I'll use a lot of bobcat urine. Uh, I've noticed that really works, triggers the foxes and coyotes around here is the bobcat urine because they're not used to that smell. Okay, I got you. So, yeah, you you pretty much have, you know, a, a setup that you've already pretty much perfected for, you know, your each set, your raccoon. So for your, I know you say you don't do a lot of water set. How does that work? Are, are you doing travel lanes and travel corridors more than you're attracting them? Or how does that work? Yeah, so basically when you're catching muskrats um, or even mink, uh, your side of bridges, you know, you can look at a bridge and go, well, it's, you know, it's shallow. All right, well, you go to the point of the bridge, and right where the point in the water meets, you set a trap. And that's the same way, like, if you're using traps for muskrats, a lot of them, actually, if you pay close attention, put travel ways through the grass. And that's how, that's where you want to put trap. Or, like, me, I run a lot of what's called colony traps. They're wire traps that you can put three or four at a time in them, and they can't get out. They drown themselves. Um, basically that's what you do. You find where they're traveling a hundred percent of the time. And like with beaver, you just look for where they're coming up out of the water the most coming up. You can see their slides going back in. You go ahead and sit right where that's at. If you have a good slide, it looks very new. Nine times out of 10, they're going to hit that slide again. So you just, you just smack a trap down there. Because when I'm beaver trapping, I have two traps I use. I use a 330 Conabera and I use an 850 Duke uh, Pro. And they're they're both heavy traps. Well, the eight the 330 Conabera that just suitcases them. Once they hit them two wires, bang, they're done. Um, 
My E50, I use on a driving rig. So basically, they get they get stuck in the trap and they go down the line and they drown themselves because they can't get up for air. I got you. Okay. So do you? I know you're doing the trapping. Do you do any predator hunting? Like, are you? Are, do you take a gun out and try to get any, or or how's that work? Oh, uh, I have been out a couple times with uh, a couple guys I've met on Facebook that's, you know, predator hunted. I've been successful twice. Uh, shot two, uh, a gray fox, a red fox, and I think I shot one coyote uh, in the four outings I've been out. And to me, yeah, it's fun and it's exciting, but it's nothing like walking up. You know, you can walk to I'm going to say your street and you can hear that chain just, you know, pulling. It's something about that that drives me nuts. Yeah, that's, uh, it's good to to hear you found that and it seems like you really enjoy it. I I do. I love it. I I wouldn't, I wouldn't give anything in the world that, you know, I'm thankful that I got introduced into the trapping. And it's awesome. You know, I just love doing what I do. And I had a pretty good season this year. Uh, I can't remember what the hell I ended up with. Um, hold on, I'll look at my, my phone real fast because that tells me what I had. Because I know I was around, I don't know, 35 or 36. I don't know. I don't. I can't remember. I think I was like thirty-seven coyotes or something like that, and I made a good year on good year on foxes. I was up to fifty or fifty something like that. I can't remember. It's hard to it's hard to remember things when you're trying. You're constantly like, even on like today, this morning I woke up. You know, I was like, well, shit. I got new traps in the mail. I got to get them. Do- I got to get them ready to go. And doing trap repairs. It's it's definitely a hobby that it's very time consuming yeah that's that's where it uh becomes an issue for someone like me who has so many things going on all the time i i could yes wake up i leave my house at 5 a.m in the morning to go to work every morning and don't get back till normally five or maybe later so yeah just based on work yes i could get up at three and go check traps and run traps at 3.30 in the morning in the, the dark in the middle of the night. Um, but that's just another thing on top of all the things that I already, I already do. That's why I think yeah. it, it's hard for people nowadays to get in the community to get back into trapping because it is such a uh, it's a large investment. You know, it takes a lot to invest oh. all that time and effort into one one thing. Oh, yeah, 100%. You know, I'm not going to sit there and say, you know, it's not because I do. You know, I I probably, this is no lie, I probably got five, I probably got close to five grand tied up into my traveling supplies. And that's including, you know, all my lures and baits, all my traps, my flushing stuff, my boards. And you sit there and look at it and you're like, well, damn. Well, I only, well, like, literally, I just got my first check yesterday in the mail. 
Hey, my fur check for everything I sent was literally $1,142. But that's not that basically everything that I, you know, progressed through the summer and put down for like gas and, you know, stuff like that. So it, it does, it doesn't make a, I, I'm not making a profit. Right. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to get at is like on top of everything, when, so that people understand where do you send your furs to? Like when you're, when you're, so do you send them throughout the season or when you're done the, the whole season? Um, so basically we have two pickups a year. Uh, shit. Um, I send all my stuff over to with a guy which pays um which is North American Fur Auctions and they're right here in Amer- they send everything to Indiana and they come to you your house or they come to a local area if you have more than one um proposition that's gonna pick up. And so I meet them once a month. They'll they'll sell what I have ready to go. But last year I waited. I sent you know bigger batches. You know I would wait because I kept one, two, I kept four coyotes back this year uh, for a taxidermist, and and he paid me for my hides. So you know it's just it's a very I understand. Yeah, you know people are like, oh well. No, I'm not getting my money. Well, dude, you got to put the time and effort in to go out there and do that before you're going to make money. Like, I can never know. With now, with everything going on with Russia and China, because Russia and China are our two biggest fur buyers out there. Yeah. Hands down. Um, you know, last year they were buying our, our Eastern Coyotes for 45 and $50. This year they're thirty five, thirty dollars. Coons are three to ten dollars. And that's all based on size. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, we have basically if I walk up to a trap and I can tell Coons can stretch out to a two X extra large or even bigger, I'm gonna go ahead and harvest it. But if I think it's only going to be a large medium, I go ahead and pop the trap, let the coon go. You know, let it grow. Even though I know I'm not, I'm going back to, oh, well, I just let up, up an animal that's going to eat eggs. But at the same time, if I can't make 3 or $4 off of it, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to keep it. I got you. Okay. Well, I, it's just basically like hunting, you know. When we're up here in Maryland, you know, yeah, we'll be bopping around and, oh, man, we see a spike. Hot damn. You know, I know how we our family is, you know. We're going to go ahead and harvest it you know, because we want the meat. We're not, we're not picky on what we eat. And um, so basically, you know, I just pick and choose. Now that I have a property that I have to hunt. Now I realize, okay, 
now I can pick and choose. Like last year, I didn't. I harvested two does last year and a spike. That was it. The only reason I shot the spike was because it had a bad limp. I guess it had a prior injury. Maybe got hit by a car. So I went ahead and eliminated from the herd. And it's the same way with trapping. If you eliminate your predators that are going to progress and eat your turkeys, your ducks, and your fawns, and get them out of there as fast as you can. Yeah, I got you. How, so how much money – so for a raccoon, you're making three to four. So mm-hmm. if you're fletching a skunk, I mean, you can't be making much money off of something like that, oh. right? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm making good money off skunk. Is that because of uh, the color of their hide or what? Yep. That's, well, the th- the two things with the skunk is because of the color of their stripes on the, on the hide. And plus, with their skunk accent, a lot of people will buy it. So, basically, when a skunk sprays, they have two glands right next to their tail, which allows them to spray, which, you know, makes you smell like ass. So, basically, after you harvest skunk, you, I have a 16-gauge needle that I use, and I insert it into that sack, and I withdraw that assets from it, and I put it in a jar. Same way, but I do both sides. And at the end of the year, guys are paying $100, $150 on these jars of accents because the skunk... Ascent is so used in a lot of different baits and lures, it's unbelievable. And it's like this weird-looking yellow-orange. It's it's kind of nasty-looking, but... I, I just figured money. you were going to tell me that people pay you so they can, like, spray it in their ex's car and shit, but... Because that would be funnier. <laughs> Actually, no. I, I did have a guy say, hey, when you catch a skunk, can you... um?" pull some of that shit, that stinky ass smell and spray it in the car. I'm going, <laughs> here, I'll give you a needle. You can do it yourself. Because <laughs> I ain't getting into that shit. Right, right. Well, i tell you what, man. Uh, it was good catching up. I think we touched on a lot of stuff, and um, I got to hop off here soon to go look at this side job. But, uh, yeah, if um, you ever want to talk again, we'll talk and um, – Maybe we'll talk after uh, after next season again and, and see how you did next season and, and see what milestones yeah. you hit. Exactly. I mean, I mean, even worse, if more people ask you questions, like send you pod, you know, podcast, pod, uh, podcast you know, messages and say, hey, you know, I want to learn more about it, you guys can go over to Scar Boys Outdoors. We're on YouTube. Yes, I don't have no videos yet because I'm screwing around with my damn computer because it's not letting me upload stuff but get a hold of him i'll be more than welcome to answer questions yeah for sure man uh, i was good catching up with you and uh i'll talk hey, to you later i'm in all right see you see you